Today we finish up a series we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're going to finish up this morning with the very last chapter. So, quick recap. Um, Luke's goal in this message, in this book, his goal is to present the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But his goal, he states it in verse 4 of chapter 1, is to give us a factual, um, historical verifiable account. And he says in chapter in chapter 1, verse 4, he wants to encourage your faith to be certain. So his whole goal as you read through the Gospel of Luke, what you find are details there that maybe are not mentioned in other accounts. Dates, uh, who's, in, who's in authority in certain places, places and geographical locations that Jesus travels. All those details are in place so that we have a faith that we know is based on truth and facts and not just some uh, mythical idea. But Luke begins chapter 1 with a story about Jesus Christ with some pretty miraculous accounts. If you remember, he, he talks about two miraculous births. The story of John the Baptist deals with two senior adults on Medicare, right? That, uh, that have been waiting for a long time for a baby and they've never had a baby. And then all of a sudden, an angel comes up to Zechariah, appears to Zechariah and says, Hey, you guys are going to have a baby, and this boy is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And Zechariah the priest doubts it, and the angel says, okay, you don't get to talk about it, and shuts his mouth. And sure enough, a few months later, his wife conceives, and she is in fear because she's lived all her life, wanted a baby, but been barren, and so she hides out for a few months, and then all of a sudden, this boy comes. And at his birth, Zechariah, whose mouth was stopped, is reopened. And he blesses God, praises God, and says, look at what God has done. And John the Baptist is born. Well, there's someone at John the Baptist's birth that uh, also has a miraculous birth story in chapter 1. And it's the teenage girl Mary, the Virgin Mary. And the same angel appears to her and says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like... How's this going to happen? Because I'm not married. I've never been with this guy. How's this going to happen? And the angel explains it's going to be the, the Lord's baby. This is the Son of God. Not the Son of any man, but the Son of God. And Mary wells up in her some faith. And she sings a beautiful song. And then this baby is born. And at his birth, there's a choir of angels that are declaring glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And that's... Jesus, who's born. And Luke tells the rest of the story of Jesus walking through the temple and through the cities, healing and doing crazy, incredible miracles. So it's a pretty crazy way to begin telling us a story of facts to start with two miraculous births. A, a, a lady well beyond years of childbearing gets pregnant and a, and a young girl who's never uh, been with a man gets pregnant. That's the way he begins a story about facts. Well, he begins that way and he finishes that way because the ending of the chapter, the ending of the book is just as wild. It's just as crazy. So in Luke chapter 24, um, Luke is concluding his gospel account, the story of Jesus Christ and who he is. And he's going to give it to us in three phases, all right, three bite sized sections. So I just want you to imagine for a minute that um, you woke up this morning, you turn on the news as you're pouring your coffee, and there's breaking news, right? 
the way breaking news unfolds is you get, you get um, the basic information right up front. You get all the information you really need to know about what has, what has happened. You know, something's blown up. Like, for instance, I don't know if you saw the news this morning, but uh, in Sri Lanka today on Easter Sunday, there were um, bombings. And last I saw, there were 150 plus Christians that were killed, 500 plus injured. That's this morning in another part of the world. Aren't you thankful that we live in a country where we don't, we don't have to fear like that? Are you thankful that you can come here today and you don't have to worry about somebody blowing up this building? But there are places in the world that's not the case. And that was the news I saw this morning. That was the breaking news. Well, one of the things the commentator said was, we don't have all the information yet, but here's what we know. And that's the same thing we're going to see in just a moment is you have breaking news at the tomb. They don't really know what's happened, but it's breaking news, right? And then there's another scene that happens in Luke 24 that we'll look at. And it's these two disciples who are defeated and they're walking away and the Jesus himself shows up and talks with them. And so now we get like some eyewitness accounts. So that's the next phase of a developing story, right, is eyewitness accounts. And then the third and final phase is when Jesus himself shows up and tells everybody what's going on. And that's when you get that first-hand interview. So those three phases, that's what we're going to talk through today. We're going to walk through this whole chapter together, okay? Um, I want you to just go ahead. Uh, we're just going to read the first section uh, with you standing. It's a lot to read if you've been standing a while. So would you stand in honor of God's Word and we'll just read... The first section of Luke 24 together. If you don't have a Bible with you, I think we'll have it on the screen uh, behind me. But if you have a, a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to find your place in Luke 24. And hopefully you have a pen and your teaching guide and you can walk through this text with us. So here we are. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and, and some other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, But these who told these things... Uh, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Verse 12, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, we know this story is all about you. I pray, God, today as we read about a resurrected Lord that we would be encouraged um, Lord, I know this is not a new story. Most all of us in this room are aware uh, of the facts. But I pray today that our hearts would be stirred by our faith. Lord, would you do that today? Would you just stir our hearts to believe in you 
in a way that will change our lives and the lives of those around us. We ask for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, a bit of a backstory. Last week, uh, we talked about Jesus riding in on the colt. And they're waving the palm branches. And He's coming in as the hero. They're singing songs about Him. Uh, between last Sunday and this Sunday, the mood in the city changed a little bit. And those who were singing about Him were now shouting, crucify Him. In fact, they chose, um, Pilate gave them a choice. Which, you know, hey guys, it's, it's, we, we usually set a prisoner free. It's part of what we do. We pardon a prisoner today. And I'd really like to pardon Jesus. I've, I've, I've interviewed Him. I don't really find any fault in Him. I'd like to set Him loose. Um, or there's Barabbas who has killed people and has caused an insurrection in the city and everyone hates him. So who would you like for me to set free? And the mood had so shifted in the city that everyone said, give us Barabbas, kill Jesus. Isn't it remarkable that that was the choice they made? And on Friday, Good Friday, it's only good, by the way, for us. Good Friday, Jesus was brutally beaten and murdered on the cross. Now make no mistake, though, He's not a victim of a crime. He's a victorious King who chose to die. All through this book, He's told us, I'm going to Jerusalem and when I get there, I'm going to give myself over to sinful men who are going to kill me. He's told the disciples that all along the way and they didn't believe it. In John's Gospel, He actually says... No man takes my life. I lay it down and I'll take it up again. That's some kind of power, right? No one says that. I mean, nobody says, look, when I die, nobody's going to kill me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to volunteer to die. And you know what? Then I'm going to come back from the dead. But that's what Jesus said. So the disciples who have watched their master be killed are now hiding Back in an upper room, they're afraid. They're afraid for their own lives. And what do they do on Saturday, the, the Sabbath day? What they, they rest. When you don't know what to do, you just do what you know to do, right? So the end of Luke 23, it says, on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. I, I love that. They just, what do we do? I, I don't know, but the Lord said we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. Let's just rest. And early Sunday morning, right? So this is why we're here. is because early Sunday morning, the women who loved their Lord, wanted to honor Him, wanted to um, give dignity to His body. You know, when He died, the sky went dark. So the Sabbath came early. So that's why they had to get Him off the cross really early, is to get really fast and, and get Him to the tomb. And Joseph of Arimathea said, I... I've got a tomb nobody's ever been in. He can use it. Well, Jesus was only going to borrow it for a couple of days, right? But they put him in Joseph's tomb. And the ladies intended on Sunday morning to go and care for his body just to respect the Lord that they've loved. And they got their oils and their spices and they're going to go just honor him. And when they get there, you can imagine the grief. The, the, the last time they saw this body, it was really mangled and beaten and bloody. And just the, the way they must be feeling, the heaviness of the moment. And they get just in eyesight of the tomb. And as they get there, they see the, the stone. The stone's been rolled away. 
Maybe on the way there they were thinking, how in the world are we going to move this boulder? But when they get there, it's moved. So they peer down inside and there's no body. It's shocking, right? The surprise of the century happened that Sunday morning. The Bible says they were perplexed. I imagine that's a bit of an understatement. Perplexed about this. And then two angels show up and... And you know the story now. So I just want to make a few statements about this. Then we'll, we'll, we'll see how the story develops. Here's a few statements. These angels show up and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? So in essence, what are they saying about Jesus? He's alive, right? Don't, you're looking for somebody who's alive in a graveyard. Don't do that. He's not here. And then they say, the angels say this word, It's repeated in the text. They say, remember. I just want to make a point here. We've said this before. But a lot of faith is remembering what the Lord has said and what the Lord has done. A lot of faith is remembering. And that's what the angel says. Remember what he told you. He told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and that He would rise on the third day. He told you that. Remember? And then the Bible says, and then they remembered. And when they remembered, they ran back to the disciples. They go to the upper room and these women share the message. So um, if you're filling in blanks this morning, when you doubt, doubt equals spiritual amnesia. So when you doubt, you're having spiritual amnesia. It's that you can't remember that God has been faithful to you in the past. That you can't remember what Jesus has said. And so in a moment of darkness, in a moment of anxiety and fear, you have forgotten how He said, there's no need to fear. The disciples went through this all the time. You know, there's several stories when they're in in a boat and there's a major storm coming and Jesus has told them on land. He said, hey, we're going to get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Jesus is asleep in the boat during the storm and the guys are scared. And he says, do you not remember what I said? Or what about when they get in the boat to make a long journey right after he fed 5,000 people? They get in the boat to make a long journey and the guys are looking around. They've only got one fish and a little bit of bread. And they're like, there's 12 of us, one fish. You know? There's a little bit of like, this is mine, man. A little bit of that going on. And Jesus says, do you guys not remember? Like, we just fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Did you forget that already? And so doubt, lack of faith, is actually spiritual amnesia. And so what we, we should draw out of this passage is that we, our faith should be stirred by our memory. Like, call it to mind what He has said and what He has done. Don't forget and the women forgot these ladies they run to the disciples and they bring this news and as they share the news of an empty tomb and what the angels have said the men so the women forgot and the men just don't believe it's ridiculous they hear these women with the excitement in their hearts and and they go no way that's true there's no way that's true i saw him die I mean, you can imagine why they wouldn't believe it, but they don't believe. So Peter jumps up, runs to the tomb, and he gets to the tomb, he finds it, 
Just like the women said, he, he peers down into the tomb and there are grave clothes, right? The, the linens, the, the grave linens are in there. Peter sees the folded grave linens. And the Bible says he went home marveling. So I just want to help explain that to you a little bit. Um, why do you think it would matter? Just process in your mind. Why does it matter that all of the, the, the linens that Jesus was wrapped in are folded up in an empty tomb? Because He's not there anymore, right? So, uh, his, two things. Let me just make two statements. If someone were to steal the body, would they have unwrapped it, folded up the linens, and laid them off to the side? No, absolutely not. When you steal, you're usually in a hurry, right? So they wouldn't have done that. Secondly, if... Well, there's a lot more we say here. But Jesus gets up. He folds the, the linens himself. Sets him aside. Walks himself out of the tomb. That tomb, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so that they could come in. So that's the breaking news of an unbelievable story. Remember, Luke is giving us an account that we can be certain about. And he's just told us about a man who walked out of a grave. A dead man who came back to life. So the developing story is now these eyewitnesses. And what we have is the disciples who... Um, remember, there were, there were a couple hundred of them maybe who had been gathered that were waving the palm branches that celebrated his entry into, into Jerusalem. And now they are defeated. And many of them are beginning to go back to their homes. And we have the story now of two of these disciples who are making the journey, seven-mile journey back to Emmaus. And on the way, Jesus shows up and all heaven breaks loose. <laughs> Let's read it. You can stay seated. I'll just read with you, okay? Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went, went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's a key verse. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. you got to love this, um, this conversation. He says, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, Jesus says, <laughs> this is, Jesus is so cool. He says, What things? Like, tell me about it. <laughs> Enlighten me. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. Do you get the, the disappointment here? We had hoped we don't any longer, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just like the women said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, 
O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Remember, you've forgotten. You don't remember what the prophets have said. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they, were, they drew near to the village to which they were going. And again, you've got to love Jesus. He acts like he's going to go farther. But they urge him, saying, please stay with us. Stay. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went and stayed with them. When, it was, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanishes from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, even though it was almost night. They rose that same hour, returned the seven miles to Jerusalem. I imagine that was a little faster trip. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And they were already saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He appeared to Simon. That's Simon Peter. Then these two guys told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so the story continues to unfold. We've got eyewitness accounts. We've got Simon Peter who's seen the Lord Jesus. Then we've got these two disciples uh, who run in and they say, we saw him too. He talked to us on the road. He taught us all about himself from the scriptures. And there's this huge celebration of joy. Just a few quick points from this section Number one, God controls spiritual sight. You see that in verse 16? They were kept from recognizing Him. And then in verse 31, their eyes were opened. We got these passive verbs. It's not that they opened their eyes, it's that their eyes were opened. I hope we see that, that God controls spiritual sight. They were unable to recognize Jesus. They, they talked out their thoughts in a way that actually kind of makes them look foolish, right? They knew a lot of facts about the story. They'd, they'd heard, I mean, they knew the facts. Jesus was a prophet. He, he did amazing things. He, he was killed and buried by our chief priests and scribes. They, they, they killed him and he was buried. And some of our women, even this morning, went to the tomb. They said it was empty. Um, Peter went, yes, it was empty. They know all the facts, right? They, they heard the breaking news. And Jesus says, oh, foolish ones and slow of what? Heart to believe. And here's the thing. Faith is not a head issue. Faith is a heart issue. Jesus says you're slow of heart to believe. It's not about knowing all the facts. All of us in this room are here because it's Easter Sunday. And I imagine you know factually that Jesus died on Friday and rose on Sunday. Factually, in your head, you know it. But I'm willing to bet there are people in this room whose eyes are not yet opened to the truth of who He is because your heart is still slow to believe. You've not given your heart to Jesus. You may believe in the facts, but the facts have not affected your faith yet. Faith is a heart issue. 
It is possible to know a lot of information about Jesus and still not know Jesus. Matthew chapter 7 is one of the scariest passages in all the Bible. And it's where these men stand before Him at judgment. Jesus tells us these men stand before Him at the judgment day. And they say to Him, we've, we've done all these things in Your name. We've done a whole lot in Your name. We know who You are. We know what You did. And we've actually done some really good things for You. And Jesus looks at them and says, Depart from Me, for I never knew You. And the word know there is not factual knowledge. It's relational knowledge. You know, I know all about Donald Trump, but I've never met him. Don't know him. He wouldn't know me. We don't know each other, but I know who he is. Does that make sense? But my wife, on the other hand, we celebrate 10 years of marriage this summer. I know her pretty well. She knows me pretty well. That's the word Jesus uses when he talks about no, depart from me for I never knew you. What he's saying is faith is not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's a relationship with God. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Christianity is not religion. It's relationship. So if, if, if all you have is a set of knowledge, a set of rules that you're trying to do, you're not a Christian. But Jesus would want to open your eyes today so that your heart would not be slow to believe, but would believe. These guys, what they had to do, Jesus pretended he was going to walk further and then they said, oh, he wanted to see some affection, some desire out of their heart. Lord, please, would, would you stay with us? Te continue to teach us. Please stay. It's getting late. Would you... Would you stay? And that's all it took. And Jesus opened their eyes. And they believed. Next thing I want to tell you is that all the Scriptures point to Jesus. All the Scriptures point to Jesus. I love that He takes the, the Scriptures. He starts with Moses and the, and the prophets. And He says He interpreted all things concerning Himself. Make no mistake. This book is not just a, a book full of good devotional thoughts to help you have a good day. This is the book that reveals to us the Son of God. This is a book about Jesus Christ. About how God loves you enough to send Jesus. Um, so their eyes were opened and their mouths are opened. As soon as their eyes are open and they recognize Him, they can't wait but to run back and tell everybody what they've seen. So now the last phase of this story. Let's read it quickly together. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and He said to them, Peace to you. Peace. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. The word there means ghost. They thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still disbelieved. Did you catch that? They still disbelieved. This is an unusual phrase. Still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. It's, it's that point where you are like, 
it's, I can't believe this is true. Is this, is this happening? It's that kind of like disbelief and joy kind of, what? what? Huh? You know, it's that kind of thing is happening here. They disbelieve for joy and are marveling. He says to them, you guys have anything to eat? <laughs> if you don't laugh at Jesus, you're missing it. All right, verse 42. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. We'll talk about why that happens. It's pretty significant. Verse 44. Then he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you. What's he doing? He's reminding them, right? Because they've forgotten. They've obviously forgotten. This is the third time in this chapter we're being reminded of these truths. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I had to die. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Did you see that phrase? Their minds were not opened until he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So what's happening here? in this, uh, this third section where the full story is unfolding. Just quickly, Jesus comes and brings peace to you. Peace to them and peace to you. We talked a lot about peace last week, so I'm not going to do a repeat, but in Luke 19, Jesus says over the city of Jerusalem, He says, I wish that you knew the terms of peace. I wish that you knew that you would accept the terms of peace. And what he meant is, the peace that I'm offering to you, peace with God, the terms for that peace is I die in your place. That's the terms. So when Jesus walks into the room, this is not just a simple greeting. He's not just saying, peace. He says, peace to you. In essence, he's saying, I've done it all that was necessary for you to have peace with God. It's done. Everything that was needed to be done is done. Peace is yours. John chapter 14, verse 27. I love this passage. He says, Jesus says, He's talking about how he's leaving and he's going to send his spirit. And he tells his disciples, listen, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give my peace. It's a different peace. It's Jesus' peace. It's peace with God. I want to tell you, there's nothing in this life that you can do to make peace with God other than Believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. We were talking with my children last night and my three girls sitting at the table and we talked about sin and um, I told them, I said, girls, there's nothing you can do to get that sin out of your life. Like you can, we use these little black rocks and you can pull the sin out all you want, but you know what? Your heart is a little black rock factory and it's just constantly making more. You don't just need to get rid of the sins you need a new heart. I was telling my girls that last night. We just started singing. A song started. You know it? 
What can wash away my sin? What? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? What? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here's the deal. There is nothing that will buy peace with God for you except the blood of Jesus. So when he walks in the room to those disciples and he just says, peace to you. It's more than a greeting. It's an extended offer that is guaranteed and warranted by an empty grave. Guaranteed by his blood and warranted by the empty grave. Isn't that amazing? It's a legitimate offer. The next thing Jesus assures them is that he's not a ghost. He's like, this is really happening, boys. I'm not a hallucination. It's not a ghost. This is really happening. And that's why he goes, anybody got anything to eat? You guys obviously think I'm not really here. You need to watch me swallow something. (laughs) All right. So he says, bring me some fish. They bring him some fish. He eats it. Now, this is wild because Jesus just vanished, right? He just vanished talking with the two disciples at Emmaus. He was talking to him. He broke some bread and they were like, Jesus. And he went, he just disappeared. And then we find out he reappeared with Simon Peter and had some kind of crazy conversation. And then as they're in this room talking, he just walks through the door. What kind of body does this guy have? And it's a weird one, right? It's a weird body that is still looks kind of like you and me, but it walks through walls. It can vanish and teleport, but it still eats and swallows and somehow or another does that. The whole point Luke is making, by the way, he's a doctor. The whole point he's making with this two things, he's saying, this is real, it's not a ghost. We watched him eat. He ate. Like we gave him fish and he chewed it, swallowed it. It was real. Okay, that's the first point. Second point is this. If you trust in Christ, you're going to have a body like that. Isn't that wild? If you put your faith in Jesus, the reason he came out of the grave is to show you that he made you for eternity. And he wants to give you that kind of body. But it only comes through peace with him. It only comes because of the death and resurrection and put your whole faith in him. Not just in your mind. Don't just know the facts. But opened eyes, opened heart, trusting fully in him. And then Jesus says a few things to him. He reminds them about his necessary death and resurrection. He reminds him them that he's the fulfillment of all the scriptures. But then he says, you are witnesses. Now, I don't know if they picked up on the word. I know we didn't. Do you know what the word is here? You are witnesses. You know what that word is in the Greek? It's this word. Martus. You know what word we get from that word? Any idea? Martyr. Martyr. So Jesus right here is saying, it was necessary that I die and that I raise from the dead. And guess what? You'll be witnesses. You'll be You'll be my witnesses. And he's telling them it's going to cost you your life. Then Jesus makes a promise. He promises power from on high. He will send the Holy Spirit. I want to finish. I've gone a long time, so let me just finish here. I want to tell you about three gifts 
This is at the bottom of your notes. Three gifts of an empty grave. Three gifts. Now, what's the deal about a gift? You actually have to receive a gift, right? If I had a gift up here and I was like, this is the best gift in the world. This is wonderful. And it's here for you. It's your gift. It's here. But you walk away. Did you get the gift? No. Nope. You actually have to receive a gift. And you're not earning it. It's a gift. But you do have to receive it. That's the thing about grace is it must be received. So here's the thing. Three gifts of the empty tomb. Here they are. First one is this. Most important one is this. Peace with God. Peace with God. I'm going to do this like a good preacher. All these start with a peace. And hopefully you'll remember. Alright. The first one is this. Peace with God. Jesus died in your place and in my place. He shed his blood. He was buried. And then he rose from the dead. To show you what the gift is going to look like if you have peace with God. Now you have to you have to receive it. And it's not just in your head. It's not just about knowing facts. It's about praying, oh God, would you please open my eyes, open my mind, open my heart. I don't know if you saw that in this text, but we've got Jesus opening their eyes, Jesus opening their minds, and Him opening their hearts. And if you beg God to open your eyes, open your mind, open your heart so that you can believe. Here's the thing. A gift is a gift if you receive it. But if you take it, you stole it. It has to be given. That's what makes a gift a gift is it's given and received. But if I wrap it and I put it up here and I'm like, you can't have this until, you know, until we're done. But it's yours. But you sneak around behind and you snatch it. That's not a gift. You stole it. It has to be given and it has to be received. So you pray, God, open my eyes. I want to see Jesus for who he really is. Open my mind to the scriptures. I read this book and I'm just so confused. Would you help me to see Jesus? Open my heart. Lord, I don't want to just know facts about you. I want to have a heart faith, a relationship with you. I don't want to have a religion. I want a relationship with God. That's peace. And God is offering you peace. The second thing, he offers you peace. Is purpose. Jesus says to all of his disciples, You are witnesses of these things. There's no better use for your life than for you to do what these people did. As soon as their eyes were opened, all they could do is run and tell about it. Opened eyes should lead to open mouths. You've got to tell people who Jesus is. Salvation, the gift of peace with God, is not just for you. It's meant to go through you. If it were just for you, when you receive that gift, you'd be gone. Right? He'd just take you right on up right then because that was the end of that ball game. No, the deal is he wants to rescue your soul and then use you to tell that news to the world. That's what he says. You'll be my witnesses I've done this so that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That is why you exist. And that is why we exist. Make no mistake, this church exists for this mission. 
to make known that there is repentance and forgiveness available in Jesus to all nations. That's the reason we just sent a team to Lebanon. That's the reason we support missionaries in Haiti and our, our local prison ministries and, and uh, on the campuses of different colleges. That's the reason we fund the kingdom is because this is what God has called us to do and to be. We have purpose. And the last thing is, you've been given a purpose and Jesus promises the power to do it. Power. The gift, gifts of the empty tomb are this. Peace, purpose, and power. He promises. Jesus said in Matthew 28, a little clearer. Here He says, Stay in Jerusalem until the power from on high has come on you. Right? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, He says, All authority has been given to Me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. He tells us how to do it, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then he says, and lo, I will be with you always. And I want to tell you something. You will never experience the power and presence of Jesus apart from the mission of Jesus. If you want to know what God is capable of, join Him on mission. Like, Join Him in spreading the news about repentance and forgiveness in the name of Christ. If you join Jesus in mission, you'll see God do incredible, crazy incredible things. I can give testimony to that. We just returned from Lebanon. We prayed, literally, we prayed on our last day there that God would give this lady the boldness to be baptized. She's afraid to be baptized because she knew the persecution that would come. She's a follower of Christ converted out of Islam, and she had confessed, confessed that she was afraid to be baptized. And we prayed. Our team prayed specifically, God, would you give her the courage to be bold in her faith for you? And on our flight home, we get a message from Chris saying, you're not going to believe it, but she just said she wants to be baptized tonight at my house. We're all going to get together and baptize her. How incredible is that? It's incredible that when you're experiencing God's mission, you'll know His power and His presence. He promised us that. I want to finish up this morning with this. It's Easter Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate Jesus going from death to life. But it could be the day for you that you go from dead in your sins to alive in Jesus Christ. 